You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey, true survivors. How are you doing out there? Mike and Mike here for the next episode of Earth Station One. Glad to have you here. Glad you guys are doing okay at home. And thank you so much, as always, for joining us. It is going to be a fun week this week. We are doing a writer spotlight. We haven't done one of those in quite a bit. And this writer we're looking at is a comic writer. And we are looking at Roy Thomas. He is the man who brought us almost everything you saw in Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. You know, everything that a lot of these characters were based off, a lot of the storylines, a lot of, you know, how this was going down, you know, between him and Stan Lee, everything you saw up there was pretty much, you know, Roy Thomas. So it's pretty cool. And we're going to have a great crew to talk all about it. So, Mr. Mike, how are you doing this week? Howdy. You surviving? I am surviving. I am here and I am, uh, yeah, not going anywhere. So that's we good. Are, we are, we are uh, quarantined in the station. We are, and we're standing six feet apart, so it's okay. <laughs> so it's a good thing for that. So it's awesome that you're, you know, you're doing okay and the cats and Michelle and everybody surviving okay. Everybody's just, uh, just fine. Excellent. That's a good thing. And, you know, it's awesome that you're able to survive along with everybody else who's just adjusting to this really strange point in life we are in right now. But it's cool that we're here to talk and share some geekdom with you guys. And we'd love to hear from you guys. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Please, please, please. Definitely would love to know if you guys are doing okay. If even just drop us a note, say we're fine. Bye. Send. That's all we need. You know, just to say howdy type stuff. So, but we're doing pretty good and we are happy to be able to, you know, join with you guys weekly still. And we're going to be doing that all the way for the foreseeable future. And we've got a lot of good shows planned for you guys. We got some good stuff we're going to be talking about. And, you know, we figured comics are the way to do it. That's what we started the show originally on, was talking all about sci-fi, geekdom, and comics. And we haven't done a lot of comic book stuff in a bit. And so I thought, let's talk about Roy Thomas. So should be kind of interesting to do. Of course, we want to, you know, like we said, gave you the email address. But, you know, please join us. We're also always constantly posting up on Facebook in the ESO Network group. We do have a earth station one page where we post all our new episodes and such but we don't have like a group of for just earth station one we mostly partake in the eso network group and please love to talk to you guys in there we're up there chatting a bit about different geeky topics news stories or just people putting fan art or stuff that we don't want up there that we have to take down quite a bit you know stuff like that and it's always a nice time to be able to join with other geeks. And if you don't do Facebook, we're also on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. So we're up on most social medias. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for everyone who subscribed or joined with us. It's a great thing to do. And we do appreciate it, as we like to say here on the show. 
Also, a big shout out to our patrons, and thank you for everyone who has been donating to our Patreon. I know it's a tough time, but for those who have been doing it, we want to do a big thank you. Some people actually have, you know, left us or knocked down their donation just because things are tough right now. Financial situations are really in flux right now and you know that's why i haven't been pushing the patreon but if you do join patreon we have a couple new shows joining that are exclusive for patreon uh, mike has been posting uh with ashley some patreon material up there talking about the wild west right mike right right yeah she's been uh she's picked a list of westerns that she's reviewing she's done so on the blog uh on uh the uh eso network page uh um, .com so uh you can just go to esonetwork.com and see her reviews but uh we go into a little bit more detail a little bit more discussion about each one of them uh each one of the westerns uh we do that exclusively you're right to the patrons but it's it's available to everybody at every level. So even if you're just giving us a buck a month, uh, you know, you have access to all that material. So uh, I hope they enjoy it. And we also have a new show joining us very soon. Uh, that's going to be a patron exclusive coming monthly uh, featuring with some very familiar voices that you might know and love up here on the network. So it should be kind of cool. We're not going to give any details about that quite yet. But it'll be coming soon. I could promise you on that. All right, let's jump in with both feet, rants and raves. Mr. Mike, you and I have, you know, been getting to know each other for many years now. And a question I wanted to ask you that I've always wondered, you know, growing up, I know basically our babysitter was the TV. You know, you know, after school, after, you know, in the evenings while mom and dad were out of work or doing whatever mom and dads did, and especially my mom and dad, but that's another show for therapy. So it's okay. But we're going to talk, you know, tonight about what TV shows did you grow up with, like watching after school? You know, how, you know, a lot of the TV stations like, you know, in, in Maryland, we had Channel 5 and Channel 20 and Channel 45 from Baltimore, um, which showed all cartoons or showed stuff after, you know, after after school. Um, what did you watch? Well, we had, uh, you know, likewise, growing up in Massachusetts, we had a couple stations. Um, uh, I, I really uh, don't recall looking at the major networks after then, because I think they were still showing soap operas. Uh, although... Um, I did get, I did eventually get hooked on to uh, general hospital, but, um, <laughs> Luke and uh, Laura. yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was exciting back then. Uh, you know, they had uh, Robert Scorpio and they had, uh, you know, all this intrigue and, and spy stuff going on. So it, uh, it appealed to me in that, in that, in that sense. Um, but, um, but as far as, uh, the UHF channels, I think that's what where most of the action was, uh, because they showed cartoons so, uh, you know, when, and you're right, when we got home, the TV like turned on and we turned on the, that's the, the first thing we did. We turned on the TV and that was on until, until everybody went to bed. Like the TV was always on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also and, didn't have video games at first, you know, when we were younger. No, I mean, video games came pretty quickly. I mean, video, we had a video game, uh, we had like Pong. And then even Atari 2600 pretty much when they came out. So 
So that was uh, there. But prior to that, um, you know, as far as the UHF channels go, I think I mainly stuck with uh, Channel 56 and Channel 38. Uh, Channel 56 showed, uh, and I can't remember the time frames on these, but I do know that I think right after we got out of school, I think the earliest cartoon shows were uh, a half hour of Casper and Friends. Okay. Followed by a half hour of uh, Mighty Mouse and Friends. And I dug Casper. Uh, I remember watching some of those. And there was some other related cartoons in that package, in that syndication package. And then Mighty Mouse, I, I wasn't really a big Mighty Mouse fan. But that's where that's the only that's where you I could watch Mighty Heroes because almost every other episode had an episode of the Mighty Heroes in there and that was uh, I dug that so I would put up with the um, Mighty Mouse cartoons. Uh, I learned to appreciate the Mighty Mouse cartoons later, but back then I was not interested, especially the operatic ones. It just didn't. Yeah, those weren't for me. Here I am to save the day. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I appreciated it later, but back then I was not I was not keen on it. I didn't want my superheroes belting out in operatic song. Um but then then the cool stuff uh happened after that. Uh there were two shows in particular that were all about action, sci-fi action. On channel 56, we had Force 5. Uh that was in the early 80s and uh Force 5 uh, was a syndicated show that was made up of five different anime series. They showed a different one each day. Uh, so they showed Guy King on Monday. Tuesday was Dangard Ace. Uh, Wednesday was Starvengers. Then uh, Grandizer was Thursday. And Friday was the Space Coteers. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I was all about those. Those were pretty damn cool. Uh, if people don't recognize the names of those, of those, uh, cartoons or those series, um, they probably would know most of them. They would recognize the robots involved, uh, because they were basically the, what the Shogun Warriors were. Oh, Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, Grandizer, um, Guy King, Dangard Ace, and uh, Dragon, which was Dragon, I believe, is on the Space Coteers or Star mm-hmm. Star Avengers, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I haven't gone back and rewatched those in ages. I've kind of looked to see if they're available, but they're not available officially that I can find. So um, so they've been kind of difficult to to see if they hold up. They probably don't, but. Um, that was my introduction. That and um, uh, another series. Um, well, Planet of the uh, Planet of the Planet of the Battle of the Planets, but that was on Saturday mornings. But those were my introduction to anime. Mm-hmm. But the show that the show that I really really loved that was on every Saturday. I think at three because we got out of school at two on Saturday. No, every day. Oh, oh weekdays. Okay. On weekdays, we would get out of school in two, and then I would we would race home. I mean, I uh, yeah, I had to get home, and I had to watch on Channel Thirty Eight. I had to watch Star Blazers. Oh, of course, Star Blazers was awesome. Star Blazers was my jam. Star Blazers was so good. I mean, that show. I still love that show. Uh, I still think it's a epic series. I think it holds up. I've re- I've watched that recently. Both series, uh, the, the the series one and two, 
of course I saw the dubbed versions. Uh, I've uh, toyed around and seen some of the animated, uh, some of the original anime movies and everything like that. And it's still, they're so pretty cool too, but man, that star blazers theme, the, the Argo, um, I know it's called the Yamato, but um, on the American series, it's called the Argo and all the characters. I just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And I Mm -hmm. literally would like run home uh, to, to see that. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. I, I didn't take the bus. So no, you ran home. You ran. I, 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 yeah, I was. Uh, I ran. That that show made me uh, get up and, and move. So that's pretty awesome, man. That's so cool. uh, those are the ones I can remember, like from an early, like around the eighties. You know, like right. not like super early, but those are ones that I remember. And then after those, then you know, then the syndicated packages would start. Like there'd be an outer out uh, an hour Brady Bunch followed by partridge family and... uh no not for us um uh for us it was good times um happy days i think it was happy days laverne and shirley and good times and there was probably another one in there too maybe it was the jeffersons i'm not sure um but mm-hmm. yeah so we used to those used to be on all the time um i can't remember ever like saying i want to watch <laughs> uh i want to watch uh those i want to watch the brady bunch but um it you was did. on all the time oh yeah see it's interesting because i grew up I was, i'm a couple years older than you and so i had you know a slightly different experience um seeing stuff like star blazers and stuff that was already probably junior high for me by that point yeah, that would have been junior high for me as well. Yeah, and such. But previous, you know, I remember after school, you know, when I was younger, we had stuff like either on Channel 5, Channel 20. Because Channel 5 was just cartoons, just like Tom and Jerry, Flintstones, Jetsons, you know, Yogi Bear, that type of stuff. Um, where Channel 20 um, had more of stuff like Ultraman or it had Speed Racer. Uh, Kimba the White Lion, uh, Marine Boy, stuff like that. And, you know, then it also, uh, and then, and they also had this guy who um, was called Captain 20, who, you know, hosted the the afternoon cartoons for us. And he, you probably know him more as uh, Count Fidal. Mm, I've heard the name, yeah. Yeah, because he used to do um, horror shows in the D.C. Baltimore area. And then um, in Baltimore, we had Captain Chesapeake and his his uh, puppet Nessie, who was uh, a Loch Ness monster, basically for the Chesapeake Bay. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and so you know, it was different different things we got to watch. But yeah, we got to watch um, Ultraman. Uh, like I said, Johnny Sacco and his giant robot. And so we got all of those and. It was awesome to watch the monsters and them fighting, but we also had, you know, you know, we also had, you know, very, we had the banana splits. We also had a lot of the Sid and Marty Croft stuff also in syndication, like Sigmund and Sea Monster, HR Puff and stuff, Lidsville, all that was already in syndication after schools on sat on during the week. And so it was, it was interesting. And that's, you know, kind of why I'm a little more warped. <laughs> than most <laughs> i can remember all of those shows a lot of those shows that you mentioned some of them don't sound familiar to me at all but 
I, I but I to be honest with you, I don't remember when they were on. Like I do remember there was some sort of Sid and Marty Croft series, and that would be an anthology, and it would um, show. I think one day they would show Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. One day it would show um, uh, the uh, the the what are they called the um, which one? Bugglers? No, no, no. It was uh, Simon Sea Monsters. It was the one where uh, Skipper and Cat and, and, and oh, it's Far Out Space Nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, launch? No, I said launch. No. Uh, the Lost Saucer, right? With Ruth Buzzy. Uh, yeah, Ruth Buzzy and Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors, right, right. Um, and so I kind of remember those. Uh, but I can't remember when they were on, um, like banana splits were on every day too, but I think that was earlier than, uh, earlier than like when I got out of school. Mm-hmm. So, cause I don't remember seeing that every day. Right. Um, or if I did, I saw it like when I was so young that I can't really remember when, you know, um, I don't even remember that's, that's the thing. I don't even remember what cartoons banana split showed i just remember the banana split you know song and then they would show like a few cartoons but i don't remember which ones those were well yeah there was like danger island i remember one of them i don't remember a couple of those either god i'm getting old but yeah um we also had you know what you also had the world of sid and marty croft and that had like Dan- that also had uh what was it electro woman and power girl dr shrinker and what was the other one? I think like uh, Super Buggy or something like that. Mm. So you know, there it's it's interesting the different things that you remember, and of course, Land of the Lost. Right, that was another one that yeah. they showed. You're right, Land of the Lost. That thank you, I'd forgotten about that one. Um, yeah, that was pretty there, pretty much there. Well, although I can remember at a time that was on Saturday mornings. Oh, very much so. I remember, you know, Saturday morning. It used to be with a bowl of cereal sitting in front of the TV while my parents slept in. They just put us down in the breakfast room and, you know, get your own food, kid. <laughs> and so. uh, at some point, I I recall, and I think, it, I think I'm correct. If people are from the New England area listening to this, they might know more. Uh, but um, they might remember different. But uh, I do believe Channel 36 showed uh the batman 60 series every day um oh that's true that's another one too and uh i do recall but i don't remember seeing that uh if it yeah i remember seeing that like early early on but i can't remember if that was on in the mornings before i went to school or if it was on in the afternoon whenever it was on i know that i wasn't able to watch it like religiously i wasn't able to watch it every day even though i wanted to uh so i would miss out on days and therefore i would miss out to on on like a lot of the cliffhangers so i wouldn't see a lot of those um how they were resolved so some of them i didn't see until like four years ago <laughs> so uh oh so I, the- I still have not ever seen the end of the giant clam story yeah that was one that uh that was one that haunted me for a while too, but uh, I finally got the whole series on on DVD um, in, with some 
with some other worldly means and uh, was able to watch it then. Uh, so finally I was like, that's awesome. I finally know how this was resolved. Um, you know, the series is available now, dude. You can, oh, I know. You, can you can scratch that itch. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I just like, I partly like, you know, no, not knowing what happens. You know, to me, Robin got eaten by the giant clam. That's cool. What's what's uh, what's really funny is that uh, if you ask me how that got resolved, I couldn't be able to tell you because I can't remember the episode how it resolved the conclusion of it right now. So that's the fun thing about getting older and losing your memory. um, Oh yeah, we also had if you remember we had the Marvel cartoons. I don't know if you had those. Just Spider Man. Uh, We had Spider. Well, you didn't have like you know when Captain America throws his mighty shield. You know. You know. They were, I think they were on, but I couldn't catch them because uh, I know that Marvel did a lot of those shows, like um, you know, Fantastic Four yep. and uh, Iron Man. I think had one right, and uh, yep. Um, but I didn't. Yeah, I, I, those were on at a time where I wasn't able to access them. So, um, but then you. Also but I do had, remember watching Spider Man. You also had the filmation uh, DC stuff too. Yes, but most of that I saw on Saturday morning. Okay, good. Um, so that was uh, Super Friends, Challenge of the Super Friends, um, uh, the Batman shows. Well, yeah, I was all th- on Saturday morning. See, I was thinking er- even earlier. They had the you know Superman they cartoon. They had the Superboy cartoon. They had Aquaman. They had the Flash. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see any of those. Oh yeah, we saw those too. Those were pretty fun. I did not see any of those, but most of my, you know, most of my babysitting, uh, as we've said at the top, uh, you know, certainly after school or whatever, was pretty much cartoons and superhero or sci-fi stuff. So, oh, sure. Um, you know, we find ourselves kind of in an age now where we're like, look at all the stuff that's on TV that's so cool and all the, the sci-fi and all the fantasy stuff and everything like that. Um, and that's true. That is, there's so much now, it's, we can't even watch it all. Back then, there was a lot of stuff too. I mean, I grew up with most of that stuff. And uh, I don't, I don't regret any of that stuff. I think a lot of it does hold up. Um, Obviously, some of it doesn't. But, uh, you know, um, not to get on a debate as to the cartoons and stuff that people are watching now, that it came out in the last 10 years, 15 years or whatever. But I, I, I'm really satisfied with the ones that we had growing up. I thought they were, they did pretty well, actually. They were pretty damn entertaining. Yep, totally understand. I completely agree with you. And, you know, I'd go back and watch those anytime beyond some of the stuff that comes out nowadays. Because so. what's interesting is that most, like a lot of that stuff, like all the Casper stuff and all the Mighty Mouse stuff, I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I thought they were just new, but they were like decades old. Oh, God, yes. And they yeah. still held up. Oh, exactly. The Looney Tunes that we were watching were from the 1950s and 1940s. Yeah, and you, know? and you wouldn't have known it. Or the black and white Popeyes or, you know, stuff like that. Or the Tom and Jerry's or the Woody Woodpeckers or, you know, all that we used to, you know, be inundated with. The Yogi Bear was obviously from the 1950s because that was Hanna-Barbera era. Yep, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. See? 
but we'd love to hear from you guys. What did you guys watch at home? We definitely would love to hear, you know, did you watch the same thing that Mike and I did? Or did you guys watch, you know, other things? I know that if Kevin's listening, he's going to correct me on a lot of the things that I got wrong that were airing in the Boston area. So uh, I look forward to hearing that. Of course he will. Cause you know, <laughs> that's what Kevin does. He has a checklist. No, 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 no. no he just has a better memory for all that than I do. So. Okay. That's even better. Okay. You know, and he probably has a chicken right there going, you know, right next to him. <laughs> so we definitely would love to hear from him. We'd love to hear from you. Please write us at our station one at ESOnetwork.com. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute. And we're going to be talking all about Roy Thomas. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's box office buzz. We are here in another week of quarantine, so no new movies coming out in theaters, but going to keep continuing to do box office buzz and talk about some of the new stuff that you can watch at home. New on DVD this week is a movie that I kind of wanted to see in theaters, but did not get a chance to. It's called Just Mercy and stars Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson, so definitely some big names. And it's about a lawyer who takes on the case of an inmate on death row whom he believes very well may be innocent. The trailer for this one looked really powerful, really good, so I think this would be an excellent one to catch on streaming. And then we also have the Kristen Stewart starring thriller, which is called Underwater, about a laboratory at the bottom of the ocean. And of course, things are not going well since this is kind of a horror thriller and This is not necessarily the type of movie that I think I'll be watching right now just because I'm already feeling kind of claustrophobic being quarantined in my home. So I don't know that I want to watch a movie about a disaster happening in a lab trapped at the bottom of an ocean. But that is there if you're looking for something exciting to watch. Over on Netflix, um, there's a show that dropped recently. It's not a new show, but it's Community, and it's an NBC comedy series. And I've only seen a handful of these episodes, but it's really funny. It's about a bunch of quirky, dysfunctional people at a community college. And if you're looking for something to lift your spirits, this is just so funny. Also, speaking of lifting your spirits, I just started watching uh, Shit's Creek on Netflix. And oh my gosh, the show is so funny. It's been just perfect to make me laugh in this time where the world seems extra scary and not quite in balance. So I highly recommend that as well. Over on the ESO Podcast Network blog this week, I'm going to be wrapping up my Better Late Than Never Goes West Western blog series. So I'm looking forward to doing a wrap up on those and including my closing thoughts. Do you know you could take the Dragon Con report with you wherever you go? Heck, we're even now up on Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Play the Dragon Con podcast up on iHeartRadio. Playing the Dragon Con report from iHeartRadio. Playing the latest episode, the 2020 Dragon Con report episode two. Howdy, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the 2020 Dragon Con report. Now, how cool is that? Remember, the Dragon Con report can be found wherever you find podcasts. See you at the show in September. Welcome back, True Believers, and now it's time to talk all about Roy Thomas, the man who not only worked magic and was 
the second editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics. He also brought a lot of Golden Age heroes back to life over at DC. It's going to be awesome to talk about it. And, oh, yeah, he also brought Conan the Barbarian to the United States. Should be a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. Take it away, Mikey. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun conversation about a guy who I don't think gets uh, enough press, uh, at least outside, you know, people who know comics, Norwood Thomas. Uh, Folks that, uh, I mean, as far as outsiders, uh, this might be a learning experience for them, but he is uh, probably, yeah. I mean, I I can't say like, like if there's a, if there's a um, monument to comics like the uh like like the big monuments uh, that's in what is that one in dakota right the oh, uh mount rushmore yeah there's a mount rushmore of comics certainly of marvel comics like roy thomas's face is on there uh for sure uh i think but uh so we're going to try to do him justice here and in order to help us uh, you already heard the award-winning bobby nash has returned to the station no, yes. we let him out of the airlock. Come on. Hey, six feet. There's not six feet in there. So JD, JD and I had to be separated. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know what, what, what better place to be during a quarantine than up here in the station? Yes. Well, uh, yeah, that's not there. That's it. It's all clean up here. Breathe in uh, that recycled air. <laughs> Uh, and then we also have with us a way too long of an absence. Uh, Mark Holmes is back on the station. Welcome back, Mark. Uh, happy to be here, fellas. Happy to have you, man. Everything going all right? We're doing well up here in New Jersey. Good, good. Glad all uh, locked down, just like everybody else, but <laughs> surviving in the bunker. Mm. As well as can be expected in Jersey, right? Um <laughs> Uh, I'm not lucky. I'm not going to point any fingers. I'm in Georgia. So, you know, that's, uh, it's not, I mean, it is what it is. Right. But, uh, we're not, why aren't you up here on a space station? (laughs) We are, we are are not here to talk about all that. We are here to talk about, uh, Mr. Roy Thomas. And as usual, uh, let's start with our, like, like when we were sort of introduced or when we were aware of Roy Thomas, what work of his was something that really connected with, with us first and early, uh, Mark, let's start with you. What was the first thing you can remember about like when Roy Thomas and you went, that's the guy? Roy Thomas, uh, that's the guy would be Conan the Barbarian comics. Yeah, I think that's true for me too. Yeah. I was a little latecomer to, I didn't really get into comics until around 75 or 76, but uh, I enjoyed uh, Conan and I enjoyed the uh, big black and white magazine even better, the Savage Sword of Conan. Mm-hmm. and Roy Thomas had his name all over those books and yeah. uh, through those books mm-hmm. I actually went backwards my comic hero always was Spider-Man and when I started collecting back issues uh, I found uh, Morbius and when I got into Morbius there it is Roy Thomas created Morbius along with uh, Gil Kane so uh, that brought me back to the black and white magazines where Morbius is featured. And of course, Roy Thomas ran all those black and white magazines when he was editor in chief. So that was my first Roy Thomas connection. That's, that's a strong one. And that I, I, yeah, I'm going to piggyback on that because Conan, I mean, I, I was, I probably read tons of his stuff before I really was aware of who he was, but uh, I think it was uh, the Conan books when I started reading those uh, then, uh, I mean, his name was so closely associated with that and Red Sonia 
that uh, um, I uh, I was like, oh, who's this guy? And I would I would look for that name, and uh, and that was what stuck with me. And then later on, like you said, I I realized, oh well, he did a lot more than that too. I, I wasn't really a big Marvel zombie though back in the day, so um, a lot of his work, um, you know, writing and creating there kind of flew by me. Um, and I didn't appreciate it till much later. And it wasn't until he came back to DC or came to DC that, uh, I was uh, aware of him by then. So, um, Bobby, what about you? I actually have a very vivid memory of my fir- the first comic that I got that, that Roy Thomas wrote. Although at the time, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't really pay attention to who wrote and drew them, but, uh, it was in the seventies. Uh, I was, I was a little kid and I remember, the drive-in uh, at 85 and 285, uh, you, it's not there anymore, but you guys know the area. Uh, Mike and Mike know the area. Um, there was a big uh, drive-in there that on the weekends, either Saturday and Sunday during the day, there was a big uh, flea market that they held there. And then at night, you know, they opened it up as a, as a drive-in theater. And I remember we made a big, it was like a day of it. We went to the, we went to the flea market. We went out and had lunch. We came back and we watched The Jungle Book and Star Wars. So it was a big day for me. And um, while we were at the flea market, there was a guy there with some comics for like a quarter, probably a quarter a piece. I I don't really remember. But I picked up this one book that the cover just grabbed me. And I I begged and pleaded and convinced my parents to buy it for me. And it was uh, Marvel Super Action. I don't remember the number, but it was a reprint of Avengers 61, which is the Avengers fight, uh, fighting between Surtur and Ymir from the Thor comics. And it had this, and I opened it up and it starts with these two big splash pages where it says, some say the earth will end in fire. And then the other one is some say in ice. And I was just, I was hooked. The art grabbed me. It was uh, John Buscema uh, did the art. Uh, Roy Thomas wrote the story. And it was these characters I'd never heard of. Uh, I was, I, it was my first my first introduction to the Avengers and what a seller lineup it was. Cause it was, uh, Hawkeye, the black Knight, the black Panther, the vision and Dr. Strange were the Avengers. I had no idea who captain America was, who Thor was, who Iron Man was. So it was a big shock to me to realize that these guys weren't the Avengers all the time. <laughs> and so, and Dr. Strange was in that one as well, you know, uh, where he had the, the mask on that he wore. And I just absolutely fell in love with that issue. And it made me want to go back and read, read more stuff with the Avengers. And then later when I realized that those were Thor villains, it made me want to go and read some Thor, Hmm. which Roy wrote for a while as well. Mike, what about you? I was with the same way as Bobby was because I had read comics since I was a little kid and I didn't pay attention to who wrote what and such. But I remember vividly reading the early issues of the Defenders. Mm. And, you know, because it was the Hulk, uh, Doctor Strange, and Submariner teaming up. And it was, oh, this is awesome. These are some of the coolest characters. It's the Hulk. And he's a part of a team. And, you know, and it was it was awesome. Um, but the first thing, you know, and I remember then also reading the Avengers at this around the same time. And there was this little thing called the Kree Skrill War. And it was it was just awesome. It took 
every hero from I thought at the time, oh, every hero from Marvel was in it. It was all the Avengers and everything. And, you know, put them up against taking them out to space to fight against these aliens. And it was just a great story. And there was this guy there named Captain Marvel, you know, involved with it too. And it was, it was just, it was just amazing stuff. And, you know, then just, you know, then regularly seeing his name starting to pop up everywhere in all those Marvel comics. And then he became editor in chief on top of it. So it was pretty awesome. That, the the Kree Scroll War too, you know, when you mentioned that, that was probably the first quote unquote event that I recall reading in comics. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that felt bigger than a normal, normal comic. Well, exactly. And, yeah. And, and, and that, that, that always stuck with me just how, big the avengers felt mm-hmm. the v- avengers were bigger than life because i remember at the time also we had you know the marriage of uh what was it it was in fantastic four oh, reed and sue reed, reed and sue, sue. Yeah. reed and sue was right about the same time and then l- further down i also remember um when uh quicksilver got married to um crystal not, yeah crystal yeah, yeah. From, from the Inhumans. And Ultron turned up and everything in that story. And it was just like, these just, all these stories, you know, it's like Roy Thomas, Roy Thomas, Roy Thomas. And it's just, it's just, it was awesome to see. So, you know, for me, that's when it was. But I didn't, you know, the name just didn't really stick. And, you know, I started seeing his name store. But what really made me stick with Roy Thomas was when he came to DC and brought all the golden age characters back to Providence. Mm-hmm. And that's what won me over with him. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about DC in a minute, but I mean, we have to talk uh, about his work at Marvel. I mean, it's so impactful. Um, Cause as you guys both have said, I mean, he went to work um, in Marvel around 19, like mid sixties, 1965 or so. 66 67 something like that and, and very young too yeah he was like yeah wasn't he like uh, so uh yeah he was born in 40 so yeah in 65 he was right out of college yeah yeah, yeah. right out so, of college he's right out of college it goes ahead sorry he was actually hired by dc but he only worked there eight days and then he went to marvel yeah, because uh, Mort Weisinger is a beast. Um, so <laughs> you know but that he, personally. But, but at the time, by the time it's sixties, right? You look over there, you look across the street at the uh, the competition, and you're thinking, "Oh, look at Stan Lee. He's such a cool guy. I want to work for. The, I want to work for that guy, right?" Um. So um. And yeah, Neilis. I mean, little did he know that not only would he work for him, but he would be. You know, he would he would sort of take the torch from him on a number of things uh most notably i think uh spider-man which he was the first writer other than stan lee to get at least a writing credit on spider-man uh and and he took over eventually the reins from editor uh from stan for editor-in-chief um but while he's at um while he's at marvel he does tons and tons of writing introduces so many characters uh Mm -hmm. probably most notably i would have to say would be wolverine co-creating wolverine i mean that it's pretty much a no-brainer. That's going to be like the number one guy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a very different Wolverine than we know, right? Right, right. Yeah, Wolverine was a uh, Wolverine hadn't had all the 
the stuff that's been added to the he character. He wasn't on every cover back then. Yeah. No. Well, if, if I remember correctly, the original plan for Wolverine was that he was going to be a Wolverine, a real Wolverine that had been turned into a human by the high evolutionary, and the claws were just in the gloves, not in his body. And that all obviously changed, but... Mm-hmm. Well, that actually changed also because when he went to X-Men, they didn't even know what he looked like underneath mm-hmm. the costume and everything. And Dave Cockrum had to design what it was, you know, what it was. And him and Chris Claremont came up with the claws coming out of the back of the hand. Yeah. And they just kept adding on to the mystery of who he was and things just kept building and building. And it, it was kind of like a really like a rollaway boulder with that character. <laughs> Uh, Mark, you had mentioned that, uh, of course, he co-created uh, Morbius, uh, right. which is a uh, Spider-Man villain-ish. Villain-ish. <laughs> they, they never quite figured out what or who Morbius is. In no, but he was, he was, was a badass. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue 101. It was the uh, issue right after Stan Lee's famous uh, drug issue that mm-hmm. ran without the comics code which loosened up the comics code to a bit where they could allow vampires back into comics for since the comics code came into effect in the mid fifties, vampires were out. So they tried to stick their toe back in the water with a living vampire. Yeah. And they created Mm -hmm. Morbius. who's a scientific vampire, not a supernatural vampire. And I just, I dug the character Mm -hmm. similar to Bobby's story. I found, Morbius in a uh, back issue bin in a bookstore in my town, you know, covered with dust. Everybody had forgotten about it. And I'm flipping through the bin and I pull Morbius out. And sure enough, I didn't know then, just like all the rest of you guys, I wasn't much of a name to character guy. So Mm -hmm. I started reading up all the Morbius I could. And then of course it goes right back to our guy, Roy Thomas. And then when I found issue 101, and I read that, it was really just blew my mind. Well, I, and that's an interesting point, too, because, uh, you know, Roy wasn't, even though he eventually became editor-in-chief and did all this stuff, like, I don't think, I don't think he sold, oversold himself. Like, he didn't have the huge personality that Stan did, right? So, well, so he, didn't, he didn't huckster himself like Stan did. Right, right. So well, nobody, nobody huckstered like Stan. Right. That's true. That's true. But, but in terms of like, yeah, I mean, you kind of go, oh, that's a Roy Thomas story rather than like, you know, like, oh, Roy Thomas is responsible for, you know, all this stuff. Like, I don't think he was, yeah, he wasn't putting his name on the, the front of everything and, um it it just was one of those things that was kind of understated so mm-hmm. um uh other characters that he created that uh you feel made an impact uh bobby um uh, for me personally uh carol danvers gotcha. i was a huge fan of miss marvel in the you know in the 70s and up through you know and that talking about another character that went through many iterations and but i love that character that was that was a big one for me that makes sense. And of course, you know, I mean, these are characters that are really relevant today. Uh, mm-hmm. Quite a number of the the MCU, you know, movie and TV characters have Roy's DNA in them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Another character that, uh, or characters? Uh, characters? I'm going to actually go with Havoc and Polaris in the X-Men because he did a fan, 
a stunning run of the X-Men. He took over for Stan and he basically made the X-Men interesting again. And he was joined by Neil Adams in the series. And um, some of the stories that he did, like the living Pharaoh and it was the Magneto stories and um, the Savage land. It was just some, some amazing stuff that he did like Sauron, you know, the mutant that actually turned into a giant pterodactyl. <laughs> it, 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 it was awesome stuff. You gotta, gotta read these to actually to, to do it. Cause it involves um, the whole thing with the Savage land. And it was just a lot of fun stuff. And I think he also worked on uh, the beast when he became blue. Possibly, yeah, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because the Beast was spun off into his own series uh, for a little bit, and they mutated him into becoming just from a regular, you know, guy with who was acrobatic and everything with large hands and large feet. Um, no jokes there or anything, <laughs> but but um, he actually became more beast-like, and I think it was him and Len Wein who worked on that together. Yeah, they, 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 I remember when they first started, they didn't quite learn their lesson from those early Hulks where he was gray and the gray printing didn't work because they originally made the beast gray. Yep. And it didn't work because it was so hard. It was so muddy that he became blue almost instantly. You think mm-hmm. they would have learned their lesson from like the first coloring of the, of the Hulk, right? Yeah. yeah. And the gray yeah. doesn't, doesn't work. No. But you, you, ever, really do, you get away with it now, but yeah, back then, oh, yeah. so muddy. No, mm-hmm. I mean, four, they call them four-color comics for a reason, right? So mm-hmm. they use those primary jump-out colors. Um, for me, uh, another character that I, is one of my favorite Marvel characters that uh, Roy is at least partially responsible for is the modern, uh, modern iteration of Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ghost Rider had been sort of the Phantom Rider, Ghost Rider back in the early, early days when he was a Western character. But but through um, Roy and uh, Gary Friedrich, and I think Mike Plug was the first artist on that. Um, uh, you know, they recreated him as a, as a, you know, flaming skull, motorcycle riding stuntman. And damn, what a cool image. And uh <laughs> That uh, that Marvel Spotlight um, issue five, I think, that came out in seventy one, yeah, it was not, it was only a matter of time. Like within two years, he had his own series, and uh, and then he's been pretty much a a, a staple of Marvel since then. Um, but yeah, I, I it's so weird that most of the 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 characters that I connect with him uh, are ones that are not superhero or not your typical superhero you're like you know like they conan and red sonia and red sonia was his creation too by the way mm-hmm. um and uh, uh yeah and and ghost rider as well but i mean yes he did create like you know according to the thing i'm looking at here we've got so many others uh, yellow jacket uh the, the defenders of course as you mentioned iron fist uh man thing adam mm-hmm. warlock Squadron Supreme, Black Knight, Vision, Nighthawk, uh-huh. right? Vision, Doc Samson, uh, Thundra, Kill Raven, uh, Red Wolf, Red Guardian, Brother Voodoo, um, Valkyrie uh, was his creation as well. Um, yeah, so 
uh, tons and tons of characters. I don't know. Am I missing any big ones right there? I don't think that's, that's yeah. the biggies, yeah. Well, and that's just at Marvel. Now he, yeah. he did create some stuff at DC. When, sure, when, sure, sure. Yeah, like but. I said, I want to spend a little bit more time with Marvel, though. Are there any... Okay, so yeah, I have to mention the Kree Skull War, and that was huge. Um, probably um, one of the biggest stories, at least prior to that, like before that, that was one of the biggest stories like at that time uh, that changed a lot. Um, what about any other particular stories that uh, Rory was responsible for at Marvel that really made an impact on you? Uh, Mark, can you, any, can you remember any specific stories? All right. Well, you mentioned uh, Red Sonja, and I just want to add just a little bit. Red Sonja was created, the name was created by Robert E. Howard in a pulp pirate story. And Roy devoured all of Howard's work right. and adapted a lot of it and changed up the main characters into Conan and created Conan stories out of Robert E. Howard's stories. And uh, Red Sonja is nothing like Howard's Sonja. So the Red Sonja you see in the comics is 100% Roy Thomas. So uh, he changed the name from Sonja with a Y to Sonja with a J and just took off from there. So everything yeah. you know about Red Sonja came out of Roy Thomas's head. <laughs> no, that's that's a good cl- clarification. And that's that's one of the reasons why until recently when Conan came back to, well, it's weird because the two characters now are like licensed by different comic companies. Because, yeah, Dynamite snapped up Red Sonja. Yeah, which I think was weird i'm not yeah i guess that because that was still partially owned by howard maybe i don't know yeah they uh, licensed the uh, marvel for whatever reason let the conan license go and dynamite specializes in the sexy babes so they grabbed up red sonya when they had the chance and now marvel's gotten conan back yeah so now they have to like talk to each other if they ever want to do crossovers now yeah, um, and it I was know a silly the, move on silly move on Marvel's part. That uh, applies to some of the other um, characters as well, um, because there's a um, uh, there's a villain there, uh, Thon Amon. Is that right? Am I pronouncing that right? Thothamon. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank That's you. a that is a Howard character, right? But he's so also probably... one of those ones that can be like like is licensed for one or the other, right? It's most likely on a. Marvel side. I haven't read any modern Marvel Conans. But, the, uh, uh, that, that's I, a licensed character. I will say since Marvel got the license back and Jason Aaron has been writing and it, it's been phenomenal. It's been as good as it's ever been. Uh, it's so good right now. Um, uh, I mean, it's almost like he was born. I like a lot of the other stuff Jason Aaron writes, but that it's like he was born to write Conan. Um, so that's, that's, that's that. Um, so thanks for the clarification on that. Cause I, I kind of knew that about Red Sonja, but, um, uh, and that's actually, by the way, I've, uh, I've met Roy twice and, uh, I can't remember what I had him sign the first time I met him, but the second time, or no, I'm sorry. The first time I met him, I had him sign my Red Sonja number one. Uh, Very and good. I have one in the box. <laughs> and uh i can't remember what i had him sign the ne- i don't know the next time i met him all we talked about was pizza so uh <laughs> not a bad thing to talk about you know yeah. i find with the oh, with the older generation of creators the last thing they want to talk about is like comic stuff like when you just talk to them about like just everyday things it seems like that's they get more of a charge of talking about that than when you because i mean i think it's because they've been 
they've been answering over and over and over again, like the same questions. Like, and so you know, like, try to come up with something new and, and then they probably go, I don't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but um, by the way, and I guess we'll just uh, interject it now since I, I mentioned that. Um, yeah. I've met him twice at, at heroes con in Charlotte. Um, Roy is an amazingly nice guy. Like he is accessible and just, uh, at least I found him just the nicest guy and most understated guy. You'd think a guy in his position would have some airs to him. Not at all. Yeah. Not that I've found. Um, you guys have met him as well, right? Yes, I have. I've, I've met him three times. Uh, the first time I met him, he was, uh, he was a guest at the Atlanta Comic Convention, the ACC One Day Show. Um, oh really? I, I don't remember the year, but he was the main guest at one of one of those. He had just launched. He was he was the editor of. Um, and I'm gonna. I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but he did a magazine for Tomorrow's Publishing that was all about gold. Alter, Alter ego. That's yes. the one. Great oh, magazine yeah. too. That was fun. They were either launching it or had a special or something. So he was making the rounds promoting promoting the book and so he was at acc for that and i was set i was up like across from him or right down the aisle from him very nice guy you know spent a few minutes chatting with him um my my second encounter was a lot more fun and also involved pizza we were table mates at a convention in myrtle beach uh i forget the years running together you guys know how it is you do conventions it becomes one big convention in your head in your memory and but he was sitting next to me and he was busy the whole day. So we just hi, how you doing? And went on about our thing. And the convention brought him food for lunch, pizza and drinks. And so I'm just sitting there at my table and all I hear is, Hey kid, want some pizza? <laughs> <laughs> so we sat there and you know, had lunch together and just again, like Mike says, we chit chatted about everything but comics. We just had a nice two guys enjoying pizza conversation. And uh, I, I just found him very nice and charming and friendly and open and uh, easy to talk to. And then, and then of course, last year at DragonCon, I sat across the aisle from him uh, where he had that huge, you know, big three table thing. And, you know, I had to go up and tell him that I was, it was just really cool seeing him in Daredevil season three. Oh yeah. Right. Cause he had his little cameo. And uh, so we talked about that for a little bit. And so that was, that was fun great guy I'm, I'm i'm glad to see i'm glad to see he's getting some recognition you know a little more recognition these days yeah when uh i guess last year was his first year at dragon con i believe and I think so. or at least the first in a long time and it was really cool to see how many people were excited that he was going to be there um, yeah really he, had, he, had, he had really long lines when he was there because he kind of came in and out because they had him in a lot of programming but when he was there that he had a line and my understanding is uh, if you want to see him at a show, uh, you have to make sure that you go on Friday or Saturday, right? Because he, yeah. he, yeah, he doesn't do Sunday shows. He doesn't do Sundays, no. So, um, uh, Mark, have you met him as well? I have not met him personally, but I am uh, one degree of separation from Roy Thomas. Okay. If I could tell you that story real quick. Sure, absolutely. Sure. As as some of you might know, I uh, write for FemForce Comics, AC Comics down in uh, Florida. And my boss, Bill Black, was freelance inking for Marvel in the 70s on the Invaders comic. 
and the uh, sales weren't doing so good on Invaders. So Roy Thomas called the entire creative team together and wanted them to spitball ideas to see about boosting up the uh, sales. And Bill said, how about we have all the male characters get knocked out of action and we bring all the female superheroes from the 1940s and they form a team and they can be the new invaders. Mm -hmm. And uh, Roy Thomas looked them right in the eye and said, a team with all female superheroes won't sell. Wow. So, so my boss said, okay. And he kept that idea in his head. <laughs> and a couple of years later under his own company, AC, it was Americomic back then. He created the Fem Force, and it's still running today. The first all-female superhero team. Yeah, I, you know, from a business point, I kind of could see his, his, you know, in some ways he wasn't wrong, but it's to his credit that he created, co-created a lot of strong women characters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not taking anything away from him, but that's, that's the story. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. The, the irony of the statement, though, is that Roy Thomas is also the guy that then later created the Lady Liberators in the Avengers. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Which is almost the same plot. The men are, you know, taken out of the equation and the ladies come together to form a team. So that idea must, Bill's idea must have stuck in the back of his head for a while. That that happens all the time, I hear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, did you meet him as well? Or I met him when I was really young. I met him at one of the creation cons that I had gone to. Nice. And I had him sign the run of X-Men that he did for me. And I think it was from like number 52 up till he left the series. Mm-hmm. And oh, you're one of those guys that came up with a huge stack. No, <laughs> dude, 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 it was only like eight, nine, nine issues okay. at the time because no, X Men got canceled for a while after you know, he was he was part of X Men being canceled. Well, uh, I do want to talk about his uh, uh, DC years, but before that, um, real quick, a couple things of note that I, I found in, in research that he did at Marvel that I think that uh, just impressed the heck out of me. Um, he's responsible for series like Marvel Team Up, which was one of my favorite series growing up because uh, I collected uh, Marvel Team Up because it teamed up Spider-Man, who was my favorite character with other characters. So that's how I got introduced to some of the other Marvel characters. Um, it was just like on Brave and the Bold in, in, in DC, like the same kind of thing. Um, and also, uh, I believe he co-created um, or, yeah, launched uh, What If, yep. uh, which is a oh, great, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, that's one of the best, best realized, I think, miniseries or series that's ever been. I just love the alternate history stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, to be a show on Disney Plus. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and uh, he was instrumental in getting Marvel, uh, the Star Wars license. So, Very nice. Uh, didn't, which, he, didn't he script the first the yeah. adaptation of Star Wars? I he think did. so. Yes. Yeah. yes did. Jim Shooter actually came out once and said, without the Star Wars, there would be no Marvel comics today. Yeah, from what I understand, Marvel was hurting then. And uh, yeah. and yeah, so... Um, that, was a, that was a big shot in the arm time too, because that was also around the time they were doing the Treasury editions, because I remember they brought out Star Wars and Treasury and Battlestar Galactica yep. in those giant... Yep. And so that was that was all around that same time. He's actually responsible for the first joint uh, publishing venture between Marvel mm-hmm. and DC, which was the, the Treasury Wizard edition of, of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so strange. It's like that is that's some serious. That's a that's a trivia question that everybody needs to remember because then <laughs> that comes up and you're the only guy that knows that because nobody else would. That doesn't make sense at all. But yet there so, is. Yeah, because most people were probably thinking Superman, Spider Man. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, uh, in 1980s, uh, he's not happy at Marvel for whatever reason. Um, I guess, uh, him and Jim and Shooter didn't get along. Yeah. It's just not surprising. Um, consider me shocked. (laughs) I know. Right. Uh, so he goes to, he goes over to the distinguished competition, right? He goes over to DC, Left in in the middle of a Thor story, too. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There he writes, you know, Batman, Legion of Superheroes, um, does uh, some other work for them. But I think, um, as you pointed out, Mike, I think he really made an impact there with uh, Justice Society, just reviving that Golden Age group, right? With Justice Society, All-Star Squadron, all of that, right? He did Justice Society. He did All Star Squadron. He also did Infinity Inc. He came yeah, yep. and it was the stuff he worked on. He did also Blackhawk. He did, you know, so many of, of so many of the classic heroes back. I think even uh, at one point he did Challengers of the Unknown, and you know some of the other you know heroes from back then. So it's pretty amazing what Roy was doing, and he, you know. He could have done, you know, like All-Star Squadron and bring them to present day and, you know, all these heroes that, you know, were legacy heroes at the time. But no, he said it back in World War Two. And well, he, that was they still had because they hadn't done Crisis yet. So he still had that. I'll just set these on Earth, too. Yeah, exactly. And but he stuck it not just stuck it in Earth present day or two. He stuck it back in World War Two mm-hmm. and he, you know, created. Basically, the Justice Society wasn't enough to help fight the Nazis. And just here in the United States, he created the All-Star Squadron. But he also created a story why the Justice Society couldn't go to Europe to just defeat Hitler or Superman. Why didn't he just go in and, you know, capture him and everything? They created the spirit, took the legend of the Spear of Destiny. And it was pretty darn awesome. He was he was really good at that too of working in those real world type of things like the Spirit of Destiny or like uh you know in in Thor he used a lot of Norse mythology and would would adapt those stories to mar- to fit Marvel's version of Thor. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. Yeah, so he did a lot of that stuff. It's really cool. Exactly, and it was pretty awesome. He also created a really interesting series for DC Comics at the time. He worked with Scott Shaw on Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. Yes. <laughs> and as, you know, a cartoon fanatic, it was just like, oh, what? What's this? <laughs> and everything. And that it was awesome. And this is all still pre-crisis. Yeah. And, you know, and he did have Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman of Earth 2, you know, all involved in the All-Star Squadron stories and, that he did. But he also created Power Girl. And, he, you know, and he brought the Star Spangled Kid back. And that get, talks right into what's going on with Star Girl now for CW. And so it's some pretty amazing stuff that he was doing. And But then Crisis came and took away some of his major characters. Yeah. And that... That was started of the downfall of that series. 
Well, he, I, I know, I know. Pre-Crisis too, he also wrote Wonder Woman, like right up till Crisis. Mm-hmm. And because exactly. he, he actually wrote the the end of Wonder the Woman. end of Wonder Woman before Crisis, yeah, before George Perez took over. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's amazing that his his uh, his wife, uh, his second wife actually, uh, co-wrote Wonder Woman with mm-hmm. him, and she was the first female writer to receive script credit uh, for uh, a Wonder Woman series. Yeah, and those two worked after that. They worked together quite often. Usually, you would you when you would see their credits, it was Roy and Dan Thomas. You would it was always it seemed to be that they worked together a lot, and they worked well together apparently. So, yeah, Another, Mark, anything from you for about his DC years? I have to confess that I was not a DC guy back in the day. I read Marvel all through the seventies, and in the eighties, I discovered comic shops and indie comics. So I went headfirst into that. So I really have nothing to add to this section of the conversation. That's okay. I can, That's, we can talk uh, Roy Indie Comics in a few minutes if we want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, but did you guys ever read Atari Force? Yeah, Atari did, Force yes. and Sword yeah. Quest were his. Yeah. Like, that, old, that whole Atari DC connection was all his stuff, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Was it, did he write that with uh, Jerry Conway, too? Because he did a lot of stuff with Conway, right? Yes, because he mm-hmm. started especially working... Um, with Infinity Inc., he started really working with Jerry Conway, gotcha. and also, um, also All Star Squadron. So after Crisis, All Star Squadron became Young All Stars, right? Yes. Yes. And yeah, then it didn't last very long. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but a lot of the stuff that you know Jerry Robinson and later Jeff Johns would bring up with. Uh, the um, Justice Society was all there from Roy, right? Yes. Yeah, more more so than I think even the original Golden Age stuff, is if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, because he brought so much. He brought these characters to life. Because no offense against the Golden Age stuff, but it was very one dimensional. A lot of the stories and everything, but Roy brought fleshed these characters out and gave them true characters. And it was pretty awesome. And he tried modernizing some of them too, because he tried uh, doing uh, was it Crimson Avenger, and then also yeah. what was it Johnny Thunder, but it was J O N N I. It was a female version, and so it was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. The stuff yes, he was because post crisis they had a little more leeway to try things like that. Yeah, that that he might not have been able to do pre-crisis because of the well we've already got a johnny thunder on you know in the 40s what you know and so yeah i think crisis allowed them to play with modernizing a few things exactly and he played around with shazam a bit and Mm -hmm. he so he did you know a lot of the main characters he did green lantern he did different characters that you know were pretty much the staples and I know he did a couple of crossovers also with the Justice League and the Justice Society that went on yearly. Yeah. Uh, I know during that time, too, he also, um, I guess, collaborated on the screenplay for Conan the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Correct. Is, yes, he did. And Red Sonja. Gotcha. Which, uh, now, uh, screenplays go through many hands. Yeah, so, so don't blame him. Is that what you're saying? That Roy was in on the beginning, and then it was taken from him. So I am so, not blaming so, Roy Thomas for any. So don't blame him, right? No, I I get you. Conan um, the Destroyer is a very fun movie. 
Yeah. It's, uh, it was hamstrung when they rated it PG to yeah. get it to maximum audiences. So well, if you've ever seen Conan call. the Barbarian, it's really awesome. Uh, but <laughs> once you, well, Conan the Barbarian sets a tone that Destroyer just doesn't doesn't match. Cannot, up cannot with the PG rating cannot live up to. It. Right, yeah. right. And yeah, Red Sonja less, less said about the Red Sonja movie. Um, all right. So then, uh, after a few years, he goes back to work for Marvel. Uh, does a few things here and there. I think as far as his later years, and we can uh, ask you guys, I'll open up to you guys about those later years. But to me, uh, the one thing that stands out is later years is all the sort of um, classic literature that he um, helped adapt. Like he does an adaptation of Dracula uh, with uh, Dick Giordano. Uh, he does a, um, a lot of stuff for Marvel Illustrated, Last of the Mohicans, Treasure Island, Three Musketeers, like a bunch of of, of uh, sort of classic literature, bringing those back to a new audience or bringing those up to a new audience uh, in a in graphic novel format. I think that's that's pretty cool of him to do all that. Um, what else about his later career? Uh, anything that that stands out for you, Mark? Uh, I'd just like to add more to his uh, movie and television work. Okay, he uh, had his hand in the Frank Frazetta animated Fire and Ice. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. He worked nice. on that one. Mm-hmm. He actually did Thundar the Barbarian, the beloved 80s. Yes. Saturday morning uh-huh. cartoon. That makes sense. He co-produced the actual live action Conan TV series, which was really good. And sure, it, just, it was a syndicated show and it was just buried under from, it, it came after Hercules and Xena. So it was pushed aside for Hercules and Xena, but. If you did, if you get the chance to see the Conan television show, hmm. it's very good, very well done. And uh, just looking up for doing some research for today, uh, he has his hand in the new Morbius movie that's coming out. Oh, that's good to hear. He's not mm-hmm. just created by; he actually has worked on the script. Once again, <laughs> Hollywood has many things. Yeah. <laughs> so, don't hold your we'll breath see, on that one. Folks. We'll see what happens. Yeah, hopefully yeah. that uh, that has a better outcome. Um, what about you, Bobby? Anything of his, uh, you know, over the last couple decades? I remember, I remember uh, being excited when I saw when Topps Comics started. Mm. Uh, he did some work on he did some work on the X Files and Hercules and Xena comics and and some things that you know in that company. And I, I know he also. Uh, ghost wrote the spider-man comic strip for like 18 19 years yeah he wrote over stanley's stuff yeah basically he goes through it it was pretty awesome so, so uh yeah so that was uh those are the things that i know i know and i know he came back and did some stuff at marvel i know he did some avengers and west coast avengers stuff after he came back from dc and um and i know he's written conan again um for dark horse Yes, I've heard people say that that if Roy could just write Conan for the rest of his life, he'd probably be a happy man. <laughs> I'd uh, be happy. And, yeah, and so you know that's that's apparently one of those. I mean, he just loves those loves the that setting and that character, and so uh, yeah, yeah. I think he did also a uh, Reddit Sonya story for Dynamite as well, mm-hmm. a one a one shot for them. So, uh, Mike, anything about his later years? Well, his later years, you know, like I was going to mention, you know, like with what Bobby was saying, you know, he, you know, basically ghost wrote 
the Spider-Man comic strip for years and, you know, helping Stan out and everything. And their relationship actually stayed strong all the way through Stan's life. And Stan was actually, you know, Roy Thomas was one of the last people to see Stan alive and everything. Uh, Stan died 48 hours after the visit to that Roy Thomas made hmm. and everything. And she said, wow. Stan, Stan was lucid and everything like that. So, so you're saying he killed him. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> wow. That's a good dark turn. Well, well, he, 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 boy, it's getting late. Whoa. He, wow. he, he passed the torch. Like he took over for Stan and so many other things. Why not that too? Right? No, just kidding. Just kidding. So does Roy need to start making appearances in every movie now? You know what? And, and to Roy's credit, um, I think too, because as, as much as the stuff has been out there, uh, it's been negative about Stanley. Like none of that comes from Roy. No, like, not at I'm all. I'm sure. I'm sure Roy knows where bodies are buried, as far as Marvel goes. But you, I've never heard him say uh, a crossword about about Stan at all, uh, or about anybody really. Um, you know, uh, I mean, he'll tell the story the way he sees it, but uh, as far as some of that stuff goes, but um, yeah, I don't. He's not one of those guys that gets angry and bitter. Not at all. Yeah. There was one other later work that I wanted to mention. Um, he did these, this series of books for a publisher called Tashin, which I may be mispronouncing that one, like the little book of Captain America, the little book of fantastic four, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those are absolutely fantastic. They're really, they're, they're small, a little bigger than the old uh, little big books that we have as kids. Mm -hmm. They're a little bigger than that. But they're nice uh, retrospectives of these characters and their histories and the characters, uh, the side characters and the prominent stories and just very entertaining reads. And you can find those pretty easy and pretty inexpensively. Cool. Um, that's good. That's really cool. Um, and yeah, this this man is still alive. He's still working. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, you never know what he might be doing next. I'm glad that we have the opportunity to talk about him now before like we do, like, you know, instead of doing a tribute episode as we typically do. Right. Um, because it's nice to acknowledge this guy since he's still around. I definitely recommend that uh, people go out and, and read his stuff. Uh, Mark, if there's something that somebody hasn't checked out from Roy Thomas, what do you, what do you suggest? Uh, just generally, I'd like to say that Roy is the king of the fanboys, And I mean that in the, ultimate respect he grew up reading comics from the golden age which you know we could only read reprints he was right there at the time and he started his own fanzine when he was in college and as we mentioned right out of college he got the dream job a and b within a week and a half of each other and he's always respected the characters he's never talked down about anybody that i know of so I just admire the man from beginning to end, you know, and he's still with us. God love him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And anything, like I said, anything in particular you would recommend people read? Uh, read. Oh, definitely his early savage sort of Conan stories. It's just wonderful. Him and Windsor Smith, Barry Windsor Smith and John Bushima. They, they did fantastic work. Fantastic. Yeah. And those have been collected by a number of different folks. Oh yeah. You can uh, find yeah, them. They're, they're not hard yeah. to find. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Uh, Bobby, what about you? Last words and a recommended read. 
Uh, he's definitely, I, I, I agree with everything Martin just said. He's, he's a, he's a great guest. If you ever get to meet him at a con, uh, it's worth going up and just saying hi, talking to him. He, he'll sign stuff for you. I, you know, like I said, I got a big kick of seeing him in Daredevil, you know, uh, I, I, I would like to see, you know, maybe more of that happen where they, you know, uh, as you know, he can be Sans successor again, you know, <laughs> in the cameo world. Um, but I, I agree wholeheartedly with tracking down the Conan stuff because that's probably the day the day they write Roy Thomas's obituary. I'm sure it's going to say writer of Conan on it somewhere, um, but or co-creator of Wolverine. That'll probably that'll probably trump it. But um, uh, I was a big fan of the Kree Scroll War. Um, if you're an Avengers fan, that's a must read. I'm also I was also a fan of his Thor work, which has some most of which has been collected. So if you if you like the character of Thor, he wrote some really good Thor stories. All right, Mike. What Bobby said. <laughs> <laughs> now, for me, it has to be um, his run on X Men, the original series, his Kree Scroll War or pretty much anything from Avengers 50 all the way to a hundred is just amazing. <laughs> it basically created the Avengers that we know and love now and that you've seen in the movies. Uh, you also, his all-star squadron and his original run, the first 10 issues of infinity Inc. Mm-hmm. Were amazing. That was, that was Jerry Ordway at the beginning. Wasn't yeah. it? Very, yeah. it's very McFarlane looking Jerry Ordway at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, then McFarlane, I think that was McFarlane, McFarlane's early works too was was also also Squadron. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah. no, Ordway took over for McFarlane. Is that what it was? Okay, yeah. maybe that's what it was. Okay, because McFarlane, I think, went to Spider Man from there. Okay, I, I knew they were both on. I couldn't remember the order. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, some amazing stuff, amazing stories, and you know, just pure superhero whiz bang that you could get. It's just a lot of fun stuff. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, like you guys said, I, I, there's to me, there's no, like no bigger influence as far as uh, early Marvel. Uh, if you, um, you know, as far as writing goes and editing goes, uh, you know, stands at the top and then Roy's like right there. Um, and then everybody else just follows um, uh, still to this day. So, um, and like I said, if you get a chance to meet him, meet him, do so. He's the nicest guy. And uh, as far as, you know, reading material, um, you know, I, I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I, the only thing I could, I could add to that is uh, check out his uh, Spider-Man run. Uh, in particular, uh, because it's notable now because, you know, uh, the Morbius uh, movie is about to come out. So you'll want to definitely check out the original stories that feature uh, the, the the living vampire that is Morbius. So, so well, very cool, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, we are, will be right back to close out the show. Hey there, everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. And, of course, we have to start out with a farewell to John Prine, uh, who died uh, April 7th at the age of 73 of complications from COVID-19. Um, he, widely considered one of the greatest 
songwriters in modern music. He was just admired by so many people, including Johnny Cash, Roger Waters, uh, Dylan, Steve Goodman, Joan Baez, Chris Christopherson, uh, Bonnie Raitt, who had a big hit with a song of his called Angel from Montgomery. Um, he was the winner of two Grammys and a Lifetime Achievement Grammy. Um, his songs were recorded by everybody from Bette Midler to My Morning Jacket. Um, just a real American treasure, and um, we remember him very fondly. If you've never heard him, uh, go click around on YouTube and uh, check out some of his work. Uh, check out some of his recent um, appearances from the last two years. Uh, he underwent uh, cancer uh, surgery, I think, twice in his life. He was a tough guy. Um, but it's, it's like watching uh, a mischievous little imp performing with so much wit and so much humor and flair and emotion. And it's really remarkable. So travel on well, John Prine. Uh, also, Eddie Money is gone, but he is not forgotten by any means. And his final album, his first uh, album of original material in 22 years, is coming out digitally on Friday the 17th. It's called Brand New Day. You can hear the title track on YouTube, Spotify. Don't have a date on any um, hard copy, CD, or, or albums. But uh, there is new music from Eddie Money. And also, the uh, advocacy group uh, Global Citizen and the World Health Organization have announced a global concert. Uh, it's curated by Lady Gaga, and it will support healthcare workers around the world who've been uh, fighting COVID-19. It's called One World Together at Home. Uh, the scheduled performers right now include uh, Gaga, Billie Eilish, Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, Alanis Morissette, Billy Joe Armstrong, Eddie Vedder. It'll be hosted by Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, and Jimmy Kimmel. Um, it happens uh, 8 o'clock on the 18th, uh, Saturday the 18th. Um, and it's on uh, a bunch of different networks. Uh, any of the Viacom CBS networks, iHeartMedia, ABC, and NBC Streaming on Amazon Prime Video, Facebook, Alibaba, uh, Tidal, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. You can't get away from it. Um, they've already raised $35 million, and Lady Gaga on Twitter said that the actual broadcast is not a fundraiser. They will not be raising money during the broadcast. It'll all be raised before the show happens. So she said, when we do go live, put your wallets away, sit back and enjoy the show you all very much deserve. Um, so enjoy the show on the 18th, and... Uh, if you can, spare, spare some funds, anything you can do to help uh, for the uh, Global Citizen Project. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we will catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the new Magic the Gathering card set, Ikoria. 
Now, I know many of you have never played Magic the Gathering or you played when you were younger, but this new set that's coming out soon is really, really cool even if you aren't a fan of the game. The Ikoria set is all about giant monsters. So when I actually saw the preview for this set, I thought it was an April Fool's joke because many of the cards in this set are Godzilla monsters and they look freaking cool. Now, you have original Magic the Gathering monsters as well, and their normal range of characters that they've developed over the years, but you also get Mothra, Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla, and many, many more, which is really awesome. They also have chase cards done by different artists for each of the Godzilla monsters too, and some look really freaking cool. If you're a Kaiju fan, I would totally at least look up the artwork for these cards because it's really, really neat that they decided to do this crossover for their new expansion. I'm also really excited to see what other cards they haven't showed us yet that will be in there as well. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank you all for sitting through all that and enjoying and talking comics and stuff. And we had some great people to talk all about it. Let's thank our guests for tonight. Mark, thank you for once again joining us. Thank you for having me. Anything you want to promote? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you can find my comic book stories in FemForce Comics. You can get them through accomics.com. Uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, Mark One Ho, and find my award-winning short films there. I did win two awards, uh, honorable mention and a third place in two different contests. And I had a small part in front of the camera and behind the camera at a Rondo-winning movie called House of the Gorgon from my friend Joshua Kennedy. That is awesome. Oh, that is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. And thank you again. It's been way too long. We ha- can't wait that this long to have you back on the show. I'm here when you need me. Thank you, sir. And Bobby Nash, it's time for you to go back into your, you know, airlock. Yeah, it's going to get us within six feet of JD again. Yeah. So. No, no. We've, are we we've, getting our own airlock? You guys are getting your own airlocks now. You didn't you know, space him, did you? <laughs> well, we finally we finally cleared out Doctor Q's stuff from the old airlock in the back. Gotcha. So we we stuck JD back there. So <laughs> so you have your own place now, dude. Wow, feeling feeling mighty special now. <laughs> exactly. What do you want to promote, sir? Well, actually, since since Mark brought up FemForce, I I had a since the last time I've been here, I had a uh, a dream come true publishing gig. I got to write a novel based on the character of Night Vale, who appears in FemForce, um, and that's a uh, that's been a thirty year in the making dream gig to write that character. So that was a ton of fun, and uh, and the book's I, really good too. Unbiased opinion here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was it was fun. It was one of those when I heard they were doing it, I was like, "Yep, I, I volunteer." <laughs> I called dibs. So, uh, but yeah, so that's out. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, if you have Netflix, I do make an appearance in season three of Ozark in episode one. You can watch me pretend to play craps. <laughs> so that's what you feel about craps, huh? You pl- yeah. pretend to do it. Well, they, they, they um, uh, it, uh, at first they had people throwing real dice. But 
the dialogue, people's dialogue kept getting mixed up because they'd start talking and, and the, the microphones would pick up clink, 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 clink. <laughs> so, we had to start, so we had to like, we had to like pretend roll. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was a gr- oh, beautiful, beautiful sets. If you've watched it, uh, the beautiful sets, it was a fun day. And, uh, yeah, you can see me flittering around the casino. Oh, that is awesome, man. And yep, we'll start looking at it. That's one of our next series that we're going to start watching. Such an awesome series, too. Fantastic crime drama. Oh, yeah. Well, they film a lot of it right up by where I live, up Mm -hmm. on Lake Alatoona. Yeah, yeah. Lake Alatoona doubles as uh, one of the lakes in the Ozarks. Right. They also also found the sets are in Norcross. The casino is at Stone Mountain, so there's a lot. Of, yeah, they're they're around quite a bit. So. Yeah, exactly. It's funny how a lot of the country looks like Atlanta. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's at least on TV. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what's really weird is because when you're filming it, you know where you are, and so there are scenes where we filmed scenes outside the casino at Stone Mountain, and then we walk in the door, and then a week later, we filmed in Norcross, where we walk in through the door. Oh, so it's, it's it's one of those things in my mind. There's that disconnect of like on the show, you see us go in the door and then we're in. And it's that disconnect in my head going like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's uh, something wrong with her. Wait a minute. Movie, movie Bobby, ma- Bobby's finding out how movies work. Movie. Yes. Movie, <laughs> movie magic. Movie magic. <laughs> movie magic at its best. Absolutely. And, and Mr. Mike, thank you as always, my friend. And as always, it's my pleasure. Excellent. And anything you want to shout out about? Uh, well, since we're talking about Roy Thomas, and and look, if you ever got, if you guys do meet him at a convention or whatever, he doesn't, as far as I know, um, yeah, he doesn't charge for signatures. Uh, like I said, he's really approachable. But the one thing I know that uh, he does uh, request or uh, appreciate is if you donate to a cause that he's very much involved with, which is the Hero Initiative. Yeah. Uh, so I want to give the Hero Initiative a big shout out. It is a uh, non-for-profit organization dedicated to helping comic book creators, writers, and artists in need. And uh, I'm sure with everything going on right now, it's just as active and needed as it ever has been. So um, check out uh, Hero Initiative at heroinitiative.org. They are always uh, looking for assistance, and uh, you can find out more information there. That's awesome. It's a great, great cause. And, you know, so many of the comic creators that we have been talking about over the years on the show are constantly getting older and there's no pension. There's no retirement fund there, you know, and a lot of these people don't own rights to these characters or anything that they worked on for years. And so this heroes fund is a really good way to help them. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like Roy gets a nickel every time Wolverine's on a cover. Oh God. <laughs> he only wishes, you know. Wouldn't that be nice? No. If that exactly. was true, he'd be set for life. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So yeah, very good cause, folks. Very good cause. And we'll have a link to that up in our show notes. Um my shout out goes out to friend of the show, Mr. Mark Maddox. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Once again, the man, the myth, the legend has won the Rondo Award once again. So, yes, we have to call him again, award-winning Mark Maddox. Is this this his number six? I think so. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. The man is... Totally worth it. Yeah. Totally worth it. But, yeah. 
Oh, he truly is. It's amazing. The work he does and that he, he push, puts out there is second almost to none that, you know, his stuff he does, you know, I just wish he had better, you know, management and, you know, to get him out there and stuff. Cause I think he could be as big as Alex Ross. Yeah. And well, stuff. See, I'm, I'm actually a little worried about Mark going forward because this is his six year winning. The other artists who he beats out year after year are going to co- get together and like put out a hit on him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we might want to like check it on Mark ever so often just, just to make sure. Yeah. Mark, you know, he's, he's a shut in as it is anyway. So we might, I have to wait a couple of days to find out if he shows up or not. The uh, and also with that too. I mean, prior to now, he's been getting you know nominated based on his uh, wonderful work doing magazine covers and uh, book covers. But over the last year or so, he's really come out uh, with uh, some great DVD and Blu-ray covers yeah. for uh, Scream Factory, Shout Factory, um, uh, Kino, uh, a couple of other companies as well. They're just, you know, it's nice to see, you know, I complain all the time about movie poster art, but um, it's nice to see that some companies are putting art into their uh, cover art for um, Blu-rays and DVDs. I mean, they could just do hire some snot to do it like, you know, with Photoshop, and, but instead they're, they're going that extra mile and it, and it makes them worth it, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so what you're saying is we need to figure out a way to introduce Mark Maddox to Kevin Feige. Yes. <laughs> so we, yeah, that's our mission. We need to make that happen. I think it could happen. It oh, could Bobby's be. on the set of all those Marvel movies, right? Actually, I have never been able to get on a Marvel movie. Oh my lord! Yeah, I've never been able. It's a, they film twenty, twenty, thirty miles away, but I've never been able to get on one. It's the beard. It's the beard. <laughs> yeah, but I you just go right to the gate, announce your name, and they'll let you right in. I'm award-winning Bobby Nash. Exactly. No, it's like. And all you have to also say is, I was on set with Kevin Bacon. Come yeah. on. <laughs> hey, like, hey no, if you want to be six, one degree away closer to Kevin Bacon, you'll put me in your movie. That's exactly. Right. Hey. Damn straight. <laughs> Damn straight. So, Pretty no, darn sadly, awesome. Sadly, sadly what, what really happens is I say who I am and they go, who? <laughs> and it's like, come on. No. <laughs> that is awesome. Yep. Folks, you know, this is what we you get right now with what's going on in life. And it's a lot of fun to be able to talk to these guys. And we're going to have a lot of fun next week because we are going to be looking at the movie Clue. Mm. So, you know, I would tell you the story about it and, you know, start talking all about it. But I know it's too late. So it'll be a lot of fun to find out if it was who killed Mr. Body. It'll be a blast to find out. If it was it was Miss Scarlet in the parlor or Colonel Mustard with the Grinch, we'll talk all about it next time here on the Air Station One podcast. Peace, folks. We'll talk to you next time, and we're done. Yay! You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. 
become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Thank you.